Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of AMTV Radio. This is the podcast where I'm joined by a very special guest each time and we talk about, well, quite frankly, whatever we want to. And this time, my special guest, I am joined by the creator of the Council of Geeks YouTube channel, Nathaniel. Thank you very much for coming on. How are you today? I'm... I'm okay. Like, the the answer you have to give these days is scaled to current world circumstances. I'm fine. Oh, yeah. oh yes. 2020, the year everything everything decided to end. But, oh, dear God. <laughs> no, and I know it's affected... Um, it's interesting, really, like, talking to different creators on this show, just seeing how, you know, in different ways. I remember seeing on your channel at the, t- at the time when you posted it about how, unfortunately, it made you unemployed i believe which i am i'm you know i'm sorry to hear i mean it's it's affected a lot of us in that way um if if you don't mind me asking how have things been on on that front have you managed to find a a follow-up job so to speak or are you still in the field um sort of what i've Mm. been doing is i've been sinking my time into working my uh patreon and youtube and trying to get um my uh my novel kickstarted uh mm. so that i can have enough sources of income that i don't have to go out into the field again as you put it of course yeah yeah um because actually i've kind of been writing that line for a while it's been a while where i was at this level of if i had more time to sink into all these things maybe because i'm close to having it cover all my bills mm. and like i'm just a little bit shy so i couldn't afford to leave my job but then my job decided to just show me the door anyways and Mm. and i'm like well you know i i i now have the time to sink into this and try and build it into what i want it to be and see if i can take a swing at this and it's i i might just pull it off i've like i've got Mm. i've got a couple of timeline goals that i really need to be sure i line up on but if i can pull those off i you YouTube and my creative stuff might actually be what pays my bills, which is insane. No, it's my. I guess it's the those of us who create content regularly for YouTube. I suppose that's like the <laughs> the big dream, isn't it? That the prospect of being able to make stuff we enjoy or want to talk about and be able to live off that, and as you say, pay our bills on it. And it's, I think, especially now in this day and age with YouTube, with with a whole host of things, that becomes. I th- I think that becomes harder and harder, especially for like newer creators. Do you do you feel the same, or do you think it's do you feel it's easier in in the landscape? I mean, I YouTube especially has become increasingly difficult to break into. Mm. Not impossible, nothing's impossible, but the the sis- the system has very clearly been designed through the last few algorithm updates to favor channels that are already of decent size. Because as as far as YouTube is concerned, they have their they're not looking for their stars anymore. They have them. Yes. They don't need more. So if you actually want to shoot up quickly with uh with a following, you're better off looking at an emerging platform and hoping that it takes off. So like I I have friends who are on TikTok who had stuff blow up very quickly on there but that's a platform that is still rewarding the new blood in a way that something like youtube isn't yeah and isn't tiktok still is it still under threat over in the in the u.s and canada or is is that sort of died a death i don't know my uh, i've taken very very limited doses of the news Mm. 
So it's probably for the best. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it is. It's for my own mental health that I, I have mm. a very light touch with, with the news. So I don't know what's going on with that right now. But I mean, the other thing that's worth pointing out with YouTube is it. there's a reason I say my creative things are nearly paying my bills and not saying YouTube is nearly paying my bills because YouTube sure as hell is not. Uh, the yeah. bulk of the weight is being pulled by Patreon. Uh-huh. So even if you get, I don't consider myself a decent sized YouTuber. I think I'm, I'm still considered small by most standards, Mm. but at, at 45,000 subscribers, I can't even come close to covering my bills with what I pull on YouTube alone. Yeah. And I think that's what some people, uh, it's not a criticism, but I, I know I have friends certainly who aren't in the YouTube space. So, you know, when I explain to them, what I do and stuff. And I mean, I have uh, currently, I have about 10,000 subscribers, which, you know, I'm, (laughs) I'm still amazed I got that far, but you know, you say that to people who aren't in the space and they go, Oh, you know, that's great. So you must, you know, you must make like all your money off YouTube. But I'm like, Oh, hun, like if only, (laughs) if only it's like, I make (laughs) nowhere near enough. And because I think it's so unpredictable, isn't it? Like I had a very fortunate spike at the start of this pandemic where, for whatever reason, views on the channel were just, you know, how it just goes through a boost, like just more people are coming and watching. And for about two or three months, maybe I was earning enough just off YouTube at that point to cover like, you know, bills and stuff. But then as soon as I was getting in my head, oh, well, if this carries on every month, I can just do this. And then as soon as that came, that disappeared quickly. It was cut, but into like a fifth of what it was. So I think, you know, especially as you say, when your channels of our sizes to to sort of put all your eggs in the YouTube basket in terms of income is a bit, it's, I don't want to say foolish, but do you know what I mean? I think it's a bit preemptive because it can change so quickly. Yeah. Like I, I will have good months, but I, I have a very strong understanding of what my expected baseline is to pull in from YouTube. Yeah. And it, it ain't a lot. Um, now, like I, I will have good months, usually while new doctor who is actually airing, um, mm. or occasional things that'll that'll do well by my standards that'll spike it up for a month or so. But like I know it will not stay there. I know that yeah. for a fact. Yeah, I think uh, that's the thing to watch out for. Like I, when, as I mean, when I had these good months, if you like, there was that part of my brain that started to think, oh well, well this is clearly going to be the norm for the future, which you know I tried to fight against because the better part of my brain was like, no, like you've seen how this works on YouTube, like it's not. It's ninety nine percent not going to stay there, so I feel it's a it's an active thing to watch out for. But um, just for any of the listeners who maybe aren't familiar with yourself or your channel, do you just want to give a quick rundown of like the kind of stuff you make or what you like talking about on the site? Sure. I mean, you want to be technical about it. I have three. Cha- well, I have four channels, but I don't talk about one of them. Um, but we'll <laughs> we'll focus on Council of Geeks, which is the biggest one. By far. So uh, on Council of Geeks, it is me talking about various geeky things, Doctor Who the most frequently. Um, I have been doing um, a rewatch of the modern era Doctor Who, initially starting uh, with the idea that I was going to get reviews done for episodes I hadn't done reviews on before because I didn't start reviewing uh, episodes until Day of the Doctor. And okay. I've now I've now caught up with that, and I've started doing second take reviews on mm. episodes that I do <clears throat> have reviews out for. But in addition to that, I will talk about Star Wars, Marvel, DC. Um, yeah. I I at least once a month I make a point of talking about um, representation of LGBTQ plus characters and things along yes. those lines, which is 
uh, very close to my heart. So mm-hmm. that sort of stuff all filters through. But like at the end of the day, I'm a geek and I just like talking about geeky stuff. <laughs> like all good geeks do. You like talking <laughs> about the geeky stuff. No, I, I mean, I've, I, I, I think I first discovered your channel around, um, I think it was either just as Capaldi ended or when Jody started. So a good few years ago now. And I know what I liked about your style was just like how much... Whether, whether you liked or disliked a story for whatever reason, it was like the enthusiasm and like passion you put into that. It was very it was very lively in my opinion, whereas I think some reviewers, and I'm guilty of it myself sometimes, like, you know, sometimes you write a script and I think sometimes when you're like recording the script, whether it's as a voiceover or reading it off an autocue, I think sometimes it's easy to fall into that trap where the life of what you've written doesn't come across in your voice because you feel like you're reading it. Whereas with your videos, like, it's just very natural. It's very energetic and I, and I like that sort of style of reviewing so i've been i've been watching those who reviews uh, since then and i've been doing it with all my guests who are into doctor who and i i'm gonna ask you as well the, the most recent series doctor who series 12 um again for anyone who maybe doesn't know your take uh just fan to fan say whatever you thought about it just yeah what what were your thoughts on series 12 it was stronger than series 11 overall mm-hmm. It Mm -hmm. seemed to have a much clearer idea of what it was doing and what it wanted to be. Um, I thought the writing overall was more consistently strong. I hate the revelations about the Timeless Child. I hate Uh. that so (laughs) much. Um, But that 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 is my big gripe with that with that series. Otherwise, like I. I'm not going to say I love everything else, but I can find merit in pretty much everything else that was that was done that series for the most part, including like really loving an episode that a lot of people seem to have decided to crap all over. But oh, the, which one was that? That was Can You Hear Me? Like I came oh, across yeah. a lot of people really didn't like that. And I I did something that I almost never do, which is I watched that twice before I did the review just to be sure that I was comfortable with my interpretation of what I was seeing. And I'm like, no, I love this. Mm. I absolutely not just like I love it. That was my favorite episode of that series and might be my favorite episode of Jody's tenure so far. Mm. But I go, oh God, I hate the Timeless Child so much. <laughs> don't worry. You're not the first guest on this show. <laughs> it's in. I don't think you'll be the last either. No, I think it's it's fair to say the Timeless Child, as I lovingly call it, everyone's favorite just because how much it. <laughs> how much it oh the the instant reaction like you know when that aired you went on twitter on youtube just the the outpouring of hatred was unbelievable i mean um, well yeah and i i do feel the need to clarify though because this oh boy this has happened to me a number of times because (laughs) like i didn't like the last jedi either but the complaints i had were not the complaints of the loudest people who didn't like it i find myself in a similar situation with the timeless child so mm. I want to be clear about why I hate it, just so no, that feel free, go ahead. I'm, yeah, I'm not lumped in uh, with, with certain <laughs> groups. I don't care that it messes with the lore. Mm-hmm. I yeah. don't care that it means that Hartnell wasn't the first Doctor. I don't love that, but ultimately I can deal with that. Yeah. Why I hate it is this makes the Doctor the most important being in the history of Gallifrey, if not the friggin' universe. And mm. I hate that. I have never <laughs> liked the messianic 
a thing that knew who has done with the doctor that start I would say started under Davies with Tennant and mm-hmm. has it it's come and gone sometimes it's gotten better but it keeps popping up again I hate the doctor being important Mm. Uh, and I mean mm. that on a universal scale. The Doctor yeah. can be important to specific people, specific species even. He should not be important. He, she, they should not be important to the universe as a whole. And they should not be important to the Time Lords. They should be at most an irritant to the mm. Time Lords. Not the reason that they can frigging regenerate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no that's fair i mean my views on it when it happened i must admit that angle that that you're you know you specify about being the most important being in the universe i must admit when it broadcast that wasn't the first like area my mind went to i think i was more in the camp of thinking about what this meant you know for the for the law and stuff and in that sense i'm like you i, I don't mind that we've op- we've now opened this door in the law sense of like you know a pre-hartnell incarnations which has become a great meme on twitter by the way i don't know if you've seen all the oh so and so is a pre-hartnell doctor i think it's a great meme i love it (laughs) i've seen some of that and i mean something that i think they finally eased off but something used to pop up like in the like in the comments on my live streams would be basically dropping a name of somebody maybe not even a doctor who character would be like is the timeless child and i'm just like oh (laughs) so like everybody's the timeless child (laughs) <laughs> we're we're all the timeless me and you are the timeless child like we're all the timeless child but honestly yeah, i'd I- be more okay with that <laughs> if if jody whitaker just looked down the camera lens and went the timeless child is you <laughs> like it was you know william hartnell on christmas day sort of thing <laughs> <laughs> but um no i i understand your, your criticisms and to be honest i think at the time like the, you know the days after it broadcast i was I think I I I was defending it a lot because you know of the overwhelming you know um, w- whatever angle it was you know the negativity towards it and I enjoyed it for for a lot of it but as as the months have gone by and I've had more time to think on it and spoken with other guests on this show as well as yourself about it I think I do agree with that sentiment and I think you put it in one of the best ways about the Doctor being this important figure and yeah the Doctor being the most important being in the universe not really here for it it kind of takes away a lot of the I, the uh, the mystique of it, I think, like you know, in like you know Sylvester McCoy's time when they started doing that, you know, is this guy maybe what well, you know more than just a time lord or whatever? Yeah, uh, in my I mean, opinion, that... I... sorry, go on. Yeah, that's part of the thing. Like this feels like a readaptation of the Cartmel Master Plan that I was always so grateful they never got to do. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so you were never you were never a fan of the idea of the Cartmel Master Plan? Then, no, the, the very concept no. of it, I did not like it at all. Like my. Granted, I'm partially biased because Capaldi's my favorite doctor anyway, but he summed up he summed up what I feel the doctor should be in Death in Heaven. I mm. am an idiot with a box and a screwdriver passing through helping out. I'm like, yes. Yes. <laughs> that is yeah. all you should be. Capaldi's my favorite Doctor too, so I'm very glad you said that. So <laughs> and uh, Series Eight is probably my favorite season of the Revival. I don't know about you, but um, no, 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 I'm not a. I'm not, I, there are some episodes of Series Eight I like. I'm not a huge fan of Series Eight overall, though. I, I got to be honest. Mm. I no, pre- I appreciate it more now as part of the arc of Capaldi's time as the Doctor, mm. which the arc of his character is a big part of why he's my favorite, but taken as a thing unto itself. I don't love it. No. Okay. That's fair. 
I think it. I think a lot of it's to do with like. I mean, when it when it came on, like I was. I was 18, angsty teenager, about to go to university, all that sort of stuff. And I, I don't know what it was, but instantly, like straight away with, with deep breath, like within minutes, I was like, yeah, like, I believe you. You're like with Matt Smith. It took me personally his whole first season before I was like, OK, you're the doctor. I get it. But Capaldi, it was so quick. And I just I don't know what it was that season resonates a lot with me like there's a lot of elements in it that a lot of people cite they don't like like you know just how harsh Capaldi's doctor is in that season some of the things he comes out with some of the situations and stuff but I think even now when I re-watched it like the those elements I'm like yes because it, it, it to me it's different and it's a different side of the doctor's overall persona we don't get to see a lot of and I think they could have developed on it a bit more because when they shift in series nine I get the whole thing, like the arc of mellowing Capaldi's character and developing it. I just thought the shift between series eight and nine was a bit too sharp. I don't know if you felt the same, but it just no, seemed like... No, not know. at all. See, So here's here's my take on the trajectory of Capaldi's character. Hmm. Series eight, he is, as you say, he is grumpy. He is detached. He he doesn't really know who he is. It's It's why he keeps asking the question, am I a good man? He doesn't have a lot of... He doesn't have a lot of comfort in himself right now. Yeah. Series nine, he gets both comfortable and I would say has something of a midlife crisis. <laughs> I mean, playing guitar on a tank. That's which I which I love. Life. Like the thing is, yeah. people will say he's the midlife crisis doctor. I'm like, I agree, but I think that's great. Mm. But then, as much as I hate Hellbent, the fact <laughs> the fact that him. That him living or trying to live this more cavalier thing, it ends with his companion dying. Hmm. Then in series 10, he finds the middle ground where he, so it's like series nine. Yes, it is a sharp turn, but it's a sharp turn that makes sense to me because it's like he Mm -hmm. recognized that he was being too grumpy and then he overcorrected. And then mm. in series ten, he's found the proper balance. Yeah. No. Again, that's a that's a strong argument, and I see it like what I like about chatting with other fans about this sort of stuff is I feel when people actually talk to each other like we're doing now, and you hear the points rather than read it as a, a text message on Twitter or whatever. Like I'm visualizing it as I'm hearing it, and it does make a lot of sense. That's why I enjoy doing podcasts like this with you because I feel there's there's so much more understanding between people when they're actually talking, if that makes sense, rather than just writing a, a comment on Twitter. Like I've written my opinions on Twitter so many times about Doctor Who and they get so easily, intentionally or otherwise, they get so easily misinterpreted. They're saying, no, you're saying this. And I'm like, no, that's not what I meant at all. So, I mean, have, have you found that yourself within the fandom on social media? Um. Well, I mean, it's part of why I'm not... <laughs> I don't do a lot on Twitter. Like, I try and tweet at least once a day because it's a good marketing habit. But, like, Twitter's never been my jam because you, can, you can't get tone of voice from text. Yes. You, yeah. you never can't, which is why, like, I have a hard rule. Unless I, unless I literally put hashtag sarcasm at the end of it, I do not do sarcasm. Okay. In, yeah. in a written form because so many people will, like, they assume, oh, it's clearly I'm being sarcastic. Like, it's clear to you. 
Yeah. You don't yeah. know who's going to read this, and it may not be clear to them. So that's the fundamental problem with especially short text stuff like you do on Twitter. Because, like, if mm. you're doing, say, a blog post, which do people still do that? Is that still a thing? Um, I don't here or there, I think. You don't see it as often these yeah, days. But, but yeah. in theory, kids, back when we did blogs, <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm so old compared to, to all the friggin' Hootubers that I know. <laughs> Anyways, um, com- compared to a blog where you can go for as long as you need to and bring the nuance and explain where even if there isn't a tone of voice, you can you have the word count to make yourself clear. Whereas Twitter, you basically only have room for the bullet points. Yes, I quite. Yeah, I think that's, the, as you say, the limitation in characters is can in some cases be a blessing and in some cases be a huge curse. And like yourself recently, after an altercation, which I won't get into, I was like, in terms of like Doctor Who or fandom stuff on Twitter, unless it's something I like feel a distinct urge to comment on, I'm leaving it because it's not worth the hassle. It's not worth the mental health stress that results from it. It's just it's just not worth it, quite frankly, anymore. And it's a shame that the well, all sorts of fandoms have come down to that. But um, in 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 terms of like you say, you're a fan of like you know Star Wars, Star Trek, the MCU, DC. Um, I know you talk about Doctor Who the most, but in terms of like either seeing other fandoms or just where the franchises are in general, how do you like compare those to Doctor Who? Like, are they more? Do you find them more like fun to delve into, or are they more of a more <laughs> of a pain to delve into? Or... <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you right now. The stuff that I dread talking about the most, and but I, I still talk about it because I care. Um, mm. But the stuff I dread talking about the most is anything related to DC. Okay. Because with with all due respect to people who love DC, y- y- y'all are fucking nuts. <laughs> how how do you mean? Like, well, just... so you can take your pick because I have friends all over the spectrum of DC fandom. <laughs> Um, you know, because I, I have friends who have been reading DC comics for pretty much their entire lives and are deeply in love with these characters and I, watching them continue to follow anything DC does. I feel like I'm watching a friend in an abusive relationship. I'm like, <laughs> there, it's just going to hurt you again. Yeah. <laughs> and you know that and you yeah. still won't leave. And then there's the flip side of it, which is the people who will defend very, very aggressively all of the yeah. more recent moves of DC with the dark, grim, and gritty and, and yeah. the friggin' Heroes in Crisis and all that. I don't know if anyone actually defends Including that Including Zack Snyder himself. Well, <laughs> see, the thing is, I don't know how much of... And I'm not offering this as a as a critique. Like, I, I just honestly don't know how much of Snyder doubling down on all of that is sincere and how much of that is him recognizing that that's his brand. And yeah. leveraging that. And I'm not yeah. I'm not even gonna criticize him if that's what he's doing. It's it if that is, it's very savvy of him to understand mm. his place within this within the fan divides of DC and to shore up his support as opposed to water it down. But I I, I don't know how sincere he is at, yeah. at this point. I mean, I must admit, I'm more of an MCU guy than a DC guy. I don't oh, mind yeah, DC, no, but me, me too, in, in mm. inherently. But I mean, and I think 
that's a known factor, which is probably part of the reason why DC fans love to jump on me every time I talk about DC in <laughs> anything you're other Marvel than glowing. Fanboy. Yeah, <laughs> anything other than glowing terms, as if I have never complained about Disney and Marvel before. No, of oh. course not. <laughs> God's sake. No, I mean uh, it's int- my uh, my brother's a lot more into DC, and he's he loves like the you know the DC animated movies they've been doing over like the last ten years. He says like a lot of them are, are much in his eyes like you know superior from like the live action stuff we've gotten in the last i mean i think sure, the, almost... the, the ones from about about 10 years ago are mm. sure because i i haven't seen any of the last couple of years worth of them because honestly i got really really sick of how bad they were oh okay <laughs> they they used to be brilliant like i mm. own a bunch of them i like the last one that i saw that i would call genuinely great was the constantine city of demons thing mm. Yeah. But that was that was a that was almost like a fluke. Before that, it was <laughs> it was gods and monsters, and they just so much of it is so bad. Like even that, <laughs> I mean, that's part of my thing with DC at this point. I feel like there's no refuge from mm. from this harsh, dark, the world is awful tone. Yeah, unless you want to. Unless you want to dive into like Teen Titans Go, like that's how far <laughs> away you have to go to find to find anything that isn't dark, grim, and gritty. And even that, arguably, has a lot of really cruel humor in it. So maybe that doesn't even work. No, for sure. I mean, I remember like I think as soon as back a few years ago when they when they like rush release Justice League, I think a lot of us, whether we were big into DC or not, I think we knew like that was the moment for the films at least, where it's like okay this is not going to be salvageable is it like this is this is it this is this is the end quite frankly and i know they're still making stuff like you know you've got wonder woman 1984 coming out and uh, have they announced are they doing a sequel to aquaman or is that still a pipe dream or i don't think it's been officially announced i i would be shocked if that the movie the movie made a billion dollars i i would yeah. be shocked if that never gets a sequel i think I, I the impression I get is that James Wan is taking his time and that DC and that Warner Brothers recognizes that his touch was vital enough that they are going to wait for him to be ready. Yeah. As opposed to forcing the issue because forcing the issue was how we got Suicide Squad and Justice oh, League. Yes. So yes. like hopefully they have finally learned that forcing these things into production when they're not really ready for prime time. Uh, maybe mm. maybe that doesn't work maybe that's how you burn down your your brand value <laughs> yeah and i mean I, I, correct me if i'm wrong but i was trying to remember it like when justice league came out you know, obviously because Zack snyder had to come off the project because of a family tragedy which you know again i'd never take that away from him i'd never speak bad of him for that you know he did he did the right thing by all accounts but i remember when the film came out and people were saying oh we want the snyder cut we want the snyder cut that was you know the end of 2017 and now that they're finally doing it most of what i've seen on like twitter and stuff is just like why is this happening why are you releasing this like what's the point do you know what i mean i i, I might be wrong there but it just seems like it's gone the other way um, in my I, opinion but. honestly i'm not sure it's gone the other way and i think it just has to do with what's visible to your eye because you know the release the snyder cut fans now are getting what they want so they're mm. not talking about it anymore so now <laughs> the only True. people talking about it are the people who are like why yeah, and thoughts on uh, the Batman, Robin, Robert Pattinson? Uh, okay, well, you've asked me two different things now. So oh. <laughs> the, the Snyder Cut, I am morbidly curious. 
Okay. I do not expect to like it because I didn't like Batman v Superman. Yeah. And I I will try to be as fair to it as I can be. I think the best thing that I am likely to be able to say about it is I will come away going, it accomplishes what it wants to do, but I don't like it. That's yeah. what I that's what I'm expecting best case scenario. Okay. Now, as yeah. far as Robert Pattinson, the Batman, there are some elements that aren't necessarily evident in the trailer, but that like have they've been pushing and saying are going to be in it that I am that I am curious and eager to see. There's supposed to be a lot more emphasis on the detective element of his mm-hmm. character, which is something that's been getting the shaft in the movies since well, basically in every movie except for the one based off the 66 TV show. <laughs> and I, I would like to see that. But at the same time, I'm like, it's it's still really dark. And Batman mm-hmm. is still really brutal. And I'm kind of over brutal Batman. I'm yeah. not saying it's an invalid interpretation of the character. I'm just saying it's kind of all I've had from... Yeah from Batman Begins on, and I, I, I'm ready for something else now, please. Yeah, I think we need late 90s bat nipples, bat ass. <laughs> I think we need to bring that no, back. It's hate- like, see, the thing is, even knowing that I'm sick of this stuff, I did try and go back and I tried to rewatch Batman and Robin <laughs> to see if, if like, do I appreciate this more now, given what I've had to be watching instead? And no, yeah. no, this is still, <laughs> no. like, I will go to bat for Batman, for, you know, forget the pun, for Batman forever. Yeah. But Batman and Robin, oh, God. <laughs> oh what? what you don't like arnold schwarzenegger saying ice puns every five minutes <laughs> okay everybody chill no i uh i, I don't love it oh dear for me is it it isn't batman Rock, the back credit card like that's just, I, that, I mean like honestly that that one i've i was i that one never bugged me as much as it seemed to have driven some people absolutely up the wall but like it's just the tone and the vibe of the thing because even if I accept that it's trying to recapture the camp value of something like the 60s TV show, mm. it still just doesn't – it doesn't have the the right balance because trying, no. trying to do camp on purpose is really hard. And mm. 95% of the time when people try and do that, they fail. Yeah. No, quite. And I think, yeah, they, they just didn't lean as much into it as they could. If, they, if that's what they were really going for, then they, they should have just gone the whole hog. But yeah, I mean, hopefully, DC, if you're listening, Robert Pattinson movie, we need back credit card, we need back <laughs> nipples, we need we need Arnold Schwarzenegger, he's back acting again, get him back, <laughs> a cameo role as Mr. Freeze. But um, now nah, we'll have to see how that movie turns out. But shifting from DC, let's talk about Star Wars everyone's favorite franchise right so... <laughs> oh, do you remember when star wars fandom was like a nice place to be for the most part no um <laughs> no it's it well, see here's here's something that i'm quick to point out hmm. that the elements within the star wars fandom that people are like oh where did this come from this shit is not new because okay. i am old enough to remember being a kid in grade school and watching kids younger than me getting picked on by people my age or older because those younger kids liked the Ewoks TV show. Oh, man. So these elements, these these harsh, toxic, you're not a real fan, 
elements are not new. They have always been there. They are a hell of a lot louder when they have the internet at their disposal. But I am very quick to point out this shit is not new. No. I suppose it's always, like, you could argue it's probably always been there in fandom since, like, fandoms began. That uh, Maybe that alpha, you know, that alpha dominance thing in I'm the ultimate fan or you're not a real fan, which is... Which is horrible, quite frankly. But in in terms of the franchise, I mean, particularly with the with the sequel trilogy, I mean, what basically what do you think about the sequel trilogy? Do you think it adds to the franchise? Does it take away? Does it, you know, what what is it? Quite frankly, so it's something I'm never gonna watch again. I mean, that's that's the first <laughs> thing that is okay. So I, I I've got to kind of tackle these individually. Feel free. So Feel free. Force Awakens, I do enjoy. I mean, yeah. it's it's banking heavily on nostalgia. It is taking a lot of its structure from the original New Hope, but I'm okay with that. I thought it was fun. I thought the new characters were different enough that it felt like a, a decent spin on things. I thought Kylo Ren was a fascinating character. I was really interested to see what they did with with him. Mm. The Last Jedi, as I said, my my issues are not the ones that the loudest people were screaming about, but ultimately, if I were to break it down to one key thing... If Ryan Johnson wanted to deconstruct Star Wars, they should have given him one of the side projects to do it with and not have him do it with the actual characters that yes. we know and love. Because I I don't even think he did it badly, but, you know, I, I'll point to, and I've been using this as an example, most of the really great deconstructionist stories, at least that I'm aware of, are all pastiches or have analogs. For what it is mm. they're deconstructing. Watchmen is a deconstruction, not only of superheroes, but of very specific heroes that Alan Moore wanted to use. But DC told him, we love the pitch, but you cannot use these, these heroes. We will never be able to use them again if you do this. So you need to create analogs for them. Something yeah. like Superman Red Sun is a pretty cool deconstruction, but it's an Elseworlds. You know, the, when you deconstruct something, you break it. Yeah. So I th- no, I think true. the very idea of doing a de- and I'm not even knocking Ryan Johnson for doing deconstruction. That is what he does. Hmm. If you hire Ryan Johnson, you are going to get a deconstructionist film. And as far as I'm concerned, it has paid off well every time except the last Jedi because you yeah. sh- you should have given him you know a- equivalent analog toys to break as opposed to <laughs> the actual toys that we were still kind of playing with. And then Rise of Skywalker is just holy crap. I... <laughs> Everyone's favorites. <laughs> oh, wow. I do find it very telling that for all of the moves that it seems to make to quote unquote fix what were perceived issues with the trilogy up to that point, that just nobody liked it. Mm. Which, and like, here's something that, again, I'll give someone like Ryan Johnson more credit. You know, you, I will respect you more. Sticking to your guns, knowing that you're going to alienate some people, as opposed to trying to appeal to everybody and just impressing no one. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I found the thing with right, with The Last Jedi. I mean, when I saw it, I was like, that wasn't a bad film in my opinion, but I didn't love it. But in time, when I've rewatched it a few times, at the end of the day, with Ryan Johnson, and it, I feel the same about Last Jedi as I do with, like, say, The Timeless Children, Doctor Who, at least it took risks and tried to do something else like uh, on a baseline level uh, you know i'll commend them for that um i agree with you that it should have been a side project i just don't see why why didn't they just get jj abrams to direct all three or at least 
as you say, hire a director who maybe whose vision may be more in line with. Because I just think when you jump between the three in order, you've got The Force Awakens, which has its very clear style, as you say, a lot of cues taken from A New Hope, etc. And then The Last Jedi compared to that is so vastly different. And then The Rise of Skywalker is also so vastly different and change is fine. But I just think it's it's too jarring, like tone wise, ideas wise. So do you think if Abrams had helmed Last Jedi, it would have been a more cohesive trilogy? Or do you think it wouldn't have made a damn bit of difference it, it would have been more cohesive tonally and everything i don't think it would have made the overall trilogy any better i mean like the the reason it happened the way it did largely had to do with the timeline that um that disney wanted the star wars films to be released on they wanted one well they actually wanted one every year with the off years being the a star wars story releases yeah. But that means a main saga entry every two years. And two years is a really quick turnaround for, oh, yeah. for these films. Is, yeah. 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 And so the only way to have them meet the schedule that they decide... And again, this is kind of what I said about Warner Brothers too. Deciding to stick to a schedule regardless of whether it things start to fall apart or not. Hmm, yeah, that always works out. So because mm. they decided on that schedule, it meant the only way they were going to get that done was to get a different director on each of the three films and have them working kind of at the same time and sort of, you know, consulting with each other a little. Now, I could almost see why they would have thought that would have worked because you want to be technical. People tend to forget this. The, the original three Star Wars movies each had a different director. George Lucas only directed mm. the first one. Mm-hmm. And he then, but the thing was, he then produced and oversaw the story for the other two. And there yes. was no primary voice for the new trilogy. That was the problem. You had mm. people like Kathleen Kennedy, but she's, she's a, she's an executive. She's not a creative. And I get, I'm not even saying that as a knock on her. That's just being realistic. So yeah. there was no single creative voice that everything was coming back to. And they just kind of assumed that these different directors would gel well enough for it to work. And it clearly didn't because the third director just completely bailed and they had to beg Abrams to come back and try and salvage the last one, which he couldn't do. And to be fair, I don't think anybody could. No. I mean, Palpatine did not need to be in that movie. Oh, my God. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. It was like, I remember <laughs> the first trailer when he laughed at the end. I swore so much. <laughs> I oh fuck. See, I think I, I didn't swear initially, but I think it was yeah. I say when you hear him laugh because I was in a cinema at the time. I think when that I saw that first trailer, and at the time I was like, "Oh, this is really cool." But then, literally, about like two minutes later, I was like, "Wait, no, no, this doesn't make sense. Why, why are we doing this?" And just what I don't like is in the film, him coming back. They literally throw away the line. It's something like somehow Palpatine has returned, and there's one character who's like, "Ooh, Sith techniques." cloning and that is all the explanation we get in the entire film yeah apparently (laughs) there's there's extra material that explains it more thoroughly i don't care put it in the goddamn movie um yeah but like the very idea of bringing him back is why i never got into the expanded universe even when i was mm, a kid because i knew that they had like the empire was still around and they were fighting like clones of palpatine i'm like but but they won They were supposed to have won at the end of Return of the Jedi. If Palpatine is still around, even if it's a clone, that means they didn't win. Fuck Mm. you. Let me keep my happy ending. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's like they in that sense they more so want a battle, not the war. If there's still a Palpatine going on, because then the war's still going on. Yeah, I, and I hate I, that. <laughs> mm, I, it just—it's a shame that they just couldn't think of like a new a new big threat. Like you know, have Kylo Ren, have have someone be like on the dark side, whatever. But like, I've not delved much into the expanded universe. But like, I can't remember—is it the the Yuuzhan Vong or something? It's like another alien race that like invades the star wars galaxy and they become like the new big bad in the expanded universe like what it's just, you know why not come up with a new threat that people might latch onto? why do we have to i know why they partly do it you know it's the nostalgia it's oh it's the characters you know blah 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 but doesn't that say something about like the lack of confidence in like these big hollywood franchises that more so than ever i'd argue they feel like they have to rely on nostalgia the characters you remember hey do you remember this actor you saw in the cinema 40 years ago well here he is now like do you know what i mean it's yeah yeah. like here's the thing is they just i don't know why they chickened out on making kylo ren the final villain yeah i mean that's that's what was set up and not only in just the last jedi that was a clear trajectory for his character struggling with parts of him that weren't completely ready to go all in on the dark side and then shedding those parts and in his mind thinking that he's not actually the dark side that he's some third way but clearly just being a, a homicidal maniac yeah he took over effectively mm. the yeah. the last order at the end of the last jedi why mm. is he not the villain of the last movie. There is no That's... reason for it not to just be him. Other than the fact that they decided because out of nowhere everyone started crushing on him because he was shirtless in The Last Jedi. <laughs> that now we have to redeem him. And it actually annoys me that I even have to say that because the stuff between him and Ray that led to his redemption I actually think was some of the strongest stuff in the movie. But I would argue it shouldn't be there in the first goddamn place. Yeah. <laughs> I think, as you say, he got sidelined also. Oh, Palpatine's back for some reason. So I guess, you know, he was the main baddie in the last trilogy. So I guess he's got to be the main baddie in this one. It just, it yeah, it reeks of, like say, like the whole schedule format. And to be honest, when they said that, you know, about the whole, we need a Star Wars film every year, I feel like that's a lovely idea on paper and in concept. Like you say that to a Star Wars fan, hey, would you like a film every year? Yeah, but like, because what was it? We had Force Awakens, then Rogue One, then The Last Jedi. By the time um, Solo came out, I was fatigued, man. I don't know about you. I yeah, was like, well, I'm, I mean, there were yeah. a couple of things working against Solo. First is I have no idea why they made Solo a summer release, which means it was coming uh, out. Yeah. It was coming out like six months after the last Star Wars movie, as opposed to a year after. I do mm. not know why they released that in the summer instead of December, like they had every other one. Yeah. Um, so I don't understand that at all. But like. Again, I think they were looking at the Marvel model, and Marvel was releasing at least one movie a year, sometimes two. Mm. The thing that they failed to recognize, though, is that even though they're all superhero movies, the Marvel films are decidedly different subgenres each time. Mm. Because, you know, you have Thor and you have kind of this almost Masters of the Universe style epic fantasy nature to it. You do. Um, you do Iron Man and you've got more technology based and sort of an espionage and it's a man's personal redemption story. They actually changed up the genre of each of the individual Captain America movies every time. You get your teen mm-hmm. angst with Spider-Man. You you get something a bit different, whereas the Star Wars movies are all pretty tonally consistent, hmm. which means you're getting a hauntingly similar movie. Every yes. year, as opposed to feeling like you're getting a whole new corner of this world 
every movie. Yeah. Sort of like as well, oh, there'll always be like a trip through hyperspace. There'll always be like a space chase. There'll always be, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And with Solo, like, I didn't mind it, but I still walked, like, when they announced it, I was like, this is, un- we don't need this. And when I walked it out of the bland. cinema. Yeah, it was, I mean, some of the acting, I mean, <laughs> not to, I don't, this is the hard thing because I'm, I'm an actor by trade. That's what I trained in at a drama school and stuff. And it's what I'm trying to make a career out of. Thank you, coronavirus. You've really helped with that one. Um, <laughs> no, but, like, um, I, I, I'm a live performer too when I can be. So yeah. no, I, I hear you. You feel it. You feel it. And I, I don't like bashing on other actors because, you know, as I'm sure you know as well, you know how hard it is to like, well, get the job in the first place and to get in that position and stuff. I don't like dogging on it, but... Some of the performances in Solo, I was like, like, do you know what I mean? It just sort of makes Some of them aren't great, but also some of them are in that position where I find myself asking, is there anyone who could have made those lines work? Yeah, I think that's what people forget sometimes, isn't it? They don't look to like, is it the writing that's the problem, not necessarily the... Because like, back to Doctor Who for a moment, I really like Jodie's Doctor, personally. I like what she's doing, but there are some scenes or some moments where... You know, I sort of feel myself going, ah, 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 but then I'm like, oh, but I think that's more the script she's been given rather than her, like you say, you know, it's more about the writing than the performance. Yeah. I mean, like, even keeping it within Star Wars, I would say that applies to pretty much the entire prequel trilogy, which is that, like, (laughs) I I would argue with only one or two exceptions, none of the people in those movies in the lead roles are bad actors, but, but they have to deliver this dialogue under the direction of a director who is notoriously not an actor's director. Mm. And I'm left thinking, could anybody have done more with that? Because I'm not sure they could. Like, everyone likes to dunk on Hayden Christensen, but... Yeah, if you, unfairly. <laughs> well, if you haven't seen the movie Shattered Glass... I haven't seen that, I'm going to no. highly recommend that, because if you watch mm. that, you will realize, no, he's a really good actor. He just didn't know how to work that script. Yeah, I mean, when you get the script that says, I don't like sand, it's coarse and rough. and gets, I mean... Yeah, how, it, how, yeah, how, yeah. how does anyone <laughs> deliver that line? I mean, well, what is it, it, there's a reason you can mock that line specifically, because no matter how you say it, it's still stupid. <laughs> and what is it in um, Revenge of the Sith near the beginning when he's with Padme on the balcony and she's like, oh, maybe because I'm so in love. And he's like, no. Maybe it's because I'm so in love with you. Like, why? Like, why? It's just, I mean, I know the prequels have sort of ascended to that, like, meme status now. Like, everyone ironically loves them because pretty much any scene you can make into some sort of laughable meme. But I've got to say, like, I unironically think I love the prequels. Like, say what you will about them, you know, yeah, the writing and all that sort of stuff. But every time I watch them, I have fun. Do you know what I mean? I walk away being like, this was a great time. Like, I had a lot of fun. I mean, as as long as as long as I get up and like use the bathroom or get a snack or something, anytime they mention midichlorians, yeah, sure. <laughs> oh yeah, explaining why the force exists. Oh, that was a good God. idea that they did explain. I just it's it's weird on George Lucas because obviously he's writing backwards and you know he's writing stuff before the original trilogy. No mention of midichlorians in the original trilogy. So why did he? Because obviously he must have thought people will watch it. You know chronologically so episode one to six so 
all of a sudden, you know, oh, Metachlorians, Metachlorians. And then in the last three parts, nothing. Yoda's like, oh, on Dagobah, you know, oh, no, not going to talk about Metachlorians. You're just yeah. you're just good with the Force, I guess. You know? I, I think the problem is when Lucas was working on the original films, he was he made those films for his inner child. Yeah. When he made the prequels, he made those films for what he thought children of that time were. Yeah. Which means Jar Jar Binks. Which everyone. means he dumbed a lot of stuff down and overexplained <laughs> it where it did not need it. No, no, absolutely. But um, I, I've got a Revenge of the Sith, and it might be partly nostalgia because that was the first Star Wars I saw in in the cinema. And I think God it might damn be it, my I'm favorite. so old. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh. <laughs> to be fair, I did. I think I got asked to see Attack of the Clones and maybe even the Phantom Menace, but for whatever reason, I just didn't do it. But that one, Revenge of the Sith, I don't know what it is, but even when I watch it now, I do love it from start to finish, and it might be my favorite Star Wars movie, and a lot of people go, oh, you, a prequel is your favorite? That's not right. You must love the original trilogy. Like, the original trilogy's great and all, don't get me wrong, love it, but there's just something about Revenge of the Sith to me, and maybe it is that nostalgia factor, I don't know, but yeah. I I, I, I enjoy Revenge of the Sith. I liked it in the yeah. in the theater when I saw it. It's, it's not fantastic it's certainly not my favorite it's the best of the prequels by a by, oh, by a country mile easily absolutely uh yeah. i'll i'll absolutely give it that and yeah. and i would like at bare minimum it's a better film than rise of skywalker was i personally enjoy it more than the last jedi i'm not sure i can make the case that it's actually a better film but yeah. i enjoy it more than the last jedi mm. i think that was sort of my takeaway with well a lot of franchise like well Jodie's era of Doctor Who, again, is an example. Like, I know a lot of people, and I do too, you know, critique some of the writing, the stories, the structure, whatever. But Jodie's era, I've had a lot of fun on the whole. And I think, for me at least, anyway, I'm like, well, if I'm having fun and I want to tune in every week, not just out of a sense of, you know, fan obligation or I'm going to review this sort of thing, like, I genuinely want to watch because I know I'm going to have fun. I think that's, an, for me at least, I think that's a really important factor to to remember. And, you know, if people aren't having fun with it, fair enough. But... I just don't like it when some people, you know, say, oh, well, how can you enjoy this doctor for whatever reason? Yeah, you know, that's it's that sort of that's thing. That's something that I, I will never understand. Like, the if you don't like it, <clears throat> fine. If you yeah. feel you need to bow out and stop watching it and you're even a little bit resentful because you used to love Doctor Who, okay. You, you don't have the right to take it out on people who do like it. And this, I mean, this is something I come... That I, I come across in so many places. Like, I've had to do videos dealing with the jackasses who are like, oh, everything sucks because it's woke now. I'm like, no, if something's bad, uh, it's because it's bad. Not because of mm. the audience that it is trying to appeal to. And even if it was bad because the audience is trying to appeal to, it's because it's badly pandering. And it's not the fault of that audience for existing. Yeah. So if you even if you are going to try and tell me that it's bad because of the audience is aimed at, that's still the fault of the people who made it. You Absolutely. you don't get to be mad at fans simply because they exist. Yeah. You can't dog on someone for liking something, you know, because if they like something that you don't see, well, that that's just that, I'm afraid. You know, like we one of my guests I had on recently, we had very polar opposite opinions on like Jody's era, series twelve, but again, in this format, you know, you can hear each other's voices. And in the end, you know, we agreed to disagree, but it didn't get nasty. You know, we respected each other's viewpoints on it. But I think that's that's what 
some people sadly don't do quite frankly well i think it helps a lot to actually step out of your either step out of your head or step out of your immediate circle bubble you know whatever might be the case yeah and and actually engage with people and and i don't mean like yelling at them on twitter but i mean Mm. like i i was fortunate enough it just squeaked in under the line before the world caught fire i went (laughs) i went to to the gallifrey one convention uh towards Mm. the start of this year and I had a number of conversations with a number of people who very clearly had very different opinions on recent stuff that had gone on from Doctor Who than I did, or at best were way more upset about it, whereas I was just a little, eh. But they were all polite conversations when we were in person talking face-to-face. This is yeah. part of the inherent problem of communication over things like Twitter and again, Twitter doesn't cause this, but it brings it out of people. Like yeah. you're you're yelling at an avatar. You're yelling at someone who, to you, you don't have to think of as a human being unless you go out of your way to do that. Um, yeah. Or you know, you you yell at your camera for for your for your YouTube channel, and your <laughs> your audience agrees with you, and you're just getting a po- you're just getting positive feedback for being angry. And like yeah. I say you as if I'm as if I never do that. I know like as frustrated as I get especially with YouTubers who are always negative and I'm not naming names but yeah boy do I have a list in my head. <laughs> as much as I don't I do not like what they do and part of me goes how can you go through life being this angry about everything? How are mm. you okay? Like as a person yeah. right now. <laughs> But at the same time, I know that it's more lucrative to be angry. I have my own metrics on that. Every time I've done um, comp- uh, lists for Doctor Who, like doing here's the 10 best and test- 10 worst of on the same topic, mm. the, ten, the, the worst list always double the views. Always. Yeah. Yeah. So like I know that you get more traction going negative. I won't do it unless I'm feeling it naturally because – that's not good for my soul, but like, no, I, I know that it pays off. I've seen mm. the numbers. Yeah. I think that's the difference though, isn't it? Like, as you say, you do it because of the, the passion of wanting to do it rather than, oh, this will be a nice bit of like YouTube money paycheck. Whereas some of those other channels, as you mentioned, you know, just do it because as you say, it's lucrative. They know they'll reap the rewards from it. And if they're okay doing that, well, you know, I wish the best on their souls and their mental health. I really do, you know, because that... <laughs> That shit does stuff to you after yeah, a while. It yeah. really does. I, I agree. So, I mean, what that means is if you tune into my channel, if I go off, <laughs> it's because I am genuinely ticked off. I, yeah. I, I'm not saying I am free of rage. I'm just saying I don't no. manufacture it. That is, no, that is think- natural homegrown fury. Yeah, and and that's the difference again, like because rage, hate, all that sort, like that's just part of being human. I'm not saying to anyone listening, like you should not be angry. If you are genuinely angry about something, be angry by all means. But as you say, there's that, and it's the opposite way as well. The positivity, you know, like these YouTubers, like I'm just gonna say them because they 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 don't they won't watch this. You know, like the Paul brothers, Jake and Logan Paul, like that sort of forced positivity thing they did in their vlogs, and you know, a lot of YouTubers like that do it. You can just tell that they're not always that positive, and you think, what does this do to you? Like, what does trying to put on a smile all the time do to your soul the same way being angry all the time does to your soul? Yeah, I like trying to f- trying to present very far out of whack with how you're actually feeling. 
I'm not saying doing it at all is a bad thing because sometimes, you know what, you have to. But like Mm. making that a regular occurrence where your presentation of yourself does not match how you feel like that, that grinds people down. And honestly, I think it's a big part of the the somewhat notorious, you know, YouTuber burnout where creators of all sizes go, you know, I need to take a break. I think more often than not, it's because they've been forcing something, whether it's forcing positivity or forcing negativity or, or what have you. I think that's at the heart of most burnout when it happens yeah. in summary let your emotions flow kids don't don't fake it don't fake it but um the, the last main thing i wanted to chat about with you because it's really i think it's really important as you said at the start you like to make videos now and then uh you know addressing stuff to do with the lgbtq community which is great um in terms of like the entertainment world um in your opinion saying like let's say the last 10 years the last decade how do you think representation for those people has has changed has it changed for the better worse and in your opinion how would you want to see it going forward if that makes sense um it's definitely gotten better and Mm. and it's very important that i say that because most of the time when i talk about this stuff and i suppose it's worth pointing out just because it hasn't come up otherwise like i do have a dog in this race i'm i'm gender fluid one of the Mm -hmm. three channels that i update regularly it is all about my experience as a gender fluid person um Mm -hmm. so like this this is this is something i care about a lot and most of the time when i put stuff up on this i am critiquing or criticizing patterns of representation but that's the big thing is that i i try not to unless i see like genuine hate behind it i try not to get too bogged down on individual instances and i but i do get worked up by patterns yeah and i do think overall that the patterns have been getting better now i do qualify that which they have gotten better they're not great yet which is why with things like um you know marvel is finally going to have a a prominent lgbtq plus character in the eternals in theory whenever the hell that movie actually happens (laughs) which is good and i will say that it is good i am not going to pat them on the back because you know over a decade into this thing you finally acknowledge that queer people exist that's really nice thank you I, yeah. You know, it's. I'm glad it's happening. I wish it had happened a lot sooner. I'm not going to rag on you for doing it. I'm glad you did it. But, you know, we, welcome to last week as far as yeah. I'm concerned. And but I do think things are getting better because you, you're seeing now. Granted, it's it's out of fear of bad press, which isn't the best reason in the world. But you're seeing studios and actors and directors becoming more aware of the bad look of doing things like casting cisgender actors to play trans people and Mm. on occasion reversing those decisions when it's pointed out how deeply messed up that actually is yeah and overall things are are headed in a good direction my dream is very simple i want representation to not be a news story anymore Yes. I want the appearance of people who are anything other than white, cisgender, heterosexual males. I want their appearance in a movie, in a big tentpole blockbuster movie, to no longer be a headline. I yes. I want to live in the world where if a news outlet tried to say gay <clears throat> gay character in Star Wars movie, like everyone collect- collectively shrugs and goes, yeah, so what? Yeah, like that. Yeah, exactly. That is what I want. I I don't. 
<laughs> I want us to be accepted enough that that we no longer are being noticed unless we are trying to be. No, of course. And I mean, I don't know if you heard about this. It was over here on him. Um, are you aware of CBBC, the BBC's children's channel we have here? No, I can't say that I am. Uh, so but it's just a channel where the BBC puts all their, you know, content for children. So like Blue Peter and mm-hmm. <laughs> trust me to go with like the oldest example. They have other like modern shows as well. But um, I can't remember the name of it. But basically they have a long running, you know, basically like teen drama series that they air on there. You know, kids in a British school and that sort of stuff. And apparently from the series get-go, because this incident happened in, well, that was reported was in like the fourth or fifth season. Apparently from the beginning, two of the characters uh, are two girls who are in a relationship, but it was never, you know, it was never made a big deal of in the show. It was just, oh, they're together and that's it, you know, cool. And then working up to it in their relationship, because it's, you know, meant to be kids learning about themselves they share a kiss in one of the episodes. And again, in the episode, because I've seen, I've watched it, I've seen the clip, it's not made, you know, a big deal of, it's not laboured on, it just happens, as as it happens with teenagers. You know, you just, you kiss someone, it's a little bit awkward when it's your first kiss, all that sort of stuff. And the media over here went nuts. Oh, like, of, they were of, like, of course they did. Oh they my were God. Like, this, they were like, this is wrong, you can't be showing this to children. Uh, it's like, well, why not? Like, yes, why shouldn't... He- heaven forbid know? children know that gay people exist. Yeah, and I thought that attitude, like, especially from some comments I read, it's like, that just shows I think the the bigotry that still, sadly, very firmly exists within some people. And when you see people, because I read some, th- you know, some threads on the articles, comments, or on Twitter, and those people who are saying, you can't show this to kids... People comment in like what you said, like, oh, well, why do they not know gay people exist? And they can't, you know, they can't find a cohesive argument to fight back with because there isn't one. No, there isn't like, one. The... But that's also not going to change their minds. This this is part no. of the big fundamental issue with trying to fight and and correct for that kind of reaction, which is that you can't you can't logic someone out of an emotional reaction. No. And ultimately people reacting like that to representation, whether it be in a kid's movie or not, that is an emotional gut reaction because they personally are uncomfortable. Yeah. And, and you can poke holes in the rationalizations they give all you want. But the thing is the, those rationalizations aren't the reason they feel that way. They feel that way because it's a deep gut, visceral, emotional reaction. And you Mm -hmm. cannot pick that apart with logic that will still be there. And if you, obliterate one of their rationalizations they will find another one yeah and they will still hold that same point of view it's part of why progress in this area in general tends to be generational yeah and like if things head in the right direction each generation is more tolerant than the last because most people individuals kind of have a ceiling on how far they're going to get in this before they just they're just hitting the wall of what their gut emotional reaction is that they can't really fix or very mm-hmm. few people can yeah and so you you see progress over generations so like when people <laughs> i love it when people try and scare me with things like oh there was a survey in california and 20 percent of the the kids at this high school said that they were they were some kind of non-binary or transgender. I'm like, great. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Like, like I'm also yeah. quick to point out, I bet you most of them in another five years will realize, oh, I guess I'm not, but I needed to explore <clears throat> that side of myself to be certain that uh, that that wasn't that I am, which is also something healthy and we should be letting kids do. But, you know, the, just just the fact that each generation, each generation feels comfortable enough that that many kids are willing to either be true about who they are or are willing to openly question who they are so that they can figure out. And maybe some of them figure out, oh, no, I actually was the gender I was born as the whole time. But, you know, I I questioned it. and Now I know for sure. Seeing a number yeah. that high to me is heartening. That's a great thing because that means that we're we have a younger generation that is more comfortable and not as knee jerk. Yeah, I just think like what I think it just saddened me most, like particularly with reaction to this program, because obviously it's on a kid's channel. A lot of children maybe who are experiencing those feelings you described or, you know, am I the gender that I'm born as or am I gay? Am I straight? All that sort of stuff. Seeing a show like that could potentially give them the confidence to explore that more and to go on that journey rather than feel like, you know, it's something we have to hide away and never talk about. But then if they see that sort of reaction from sadly those certain people who knee jerk against it then that might provide the opposite do you know what i mean i just thought that yeah. was the saddest effect from it i felt yeah. more for those kids who were like 11 12 13 who are really starting to as we all do you start to learn about yourself and discover things about yourself and as you say sometimes you go on that journey and realize oh well maybe i'm not i'm not gay or i am you know this that or the other and just the thought of some teenager reading like those comments and then feeling like oh well I can't talk about this then because people of the above generation, potentially their family, you know, their relatives might not react in a positive way. I just think that's, well, it's awful, really. It, it is. And the, the thing is, this is part of why representation matters, because aside from the fact that you like you're not protecting kids by pretending certain kinds of people don't exist, but, you know, you're also damaging any kid who is gay or is trans or is non-binary or, or any other variant by them thinking no one else is like me. Yes. And, and the thing is like in, this is, this is something I haven't talked about specifically before, but it has been on my mind lately. Like it is important where possible to get specific with representation because there, because LGBTQ plus is lumped together as a block people seem mm. to sometimes treat it like, oh, well, there are gay people on TV now. So you trans folks, you're okay. You're good too now, right? I'm like, well, no, because that's that's not yeah. experience. That's not my experience. It's closer to my experience than the cishet people you were showing me before are, but that's still not my experience. So like I, there was um, an episode of a British TV show called uh, The Accused. Mm-hmm. That I don't know if that's a show you're familiar with. I've heard, I've not seen it, but I'm I am aware of it. I roughly know what it is. Yeah. So there was an episode of that which I got commissioned to review through my Patreon. I think about a year ago, and so much of what it showed felt so specific to my life experience. Mm-hmm. that I kind of broke down yeah. a bit because at 37 years old, for the first time in my entire life, I felt like I was actually truly seeing 
my experiences on a screen as opposed to something that is analogous to my experience or something that connects to my experience. I felt like somebody was actually truly getting all the things right that I never expected anyone to get because I didn't think anybody cared enough to get Mm -hmm. it right. And I should not have been 37 years old the first time I had that experience. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) That's, That's kind of all I have to say about that. No, that's fair. Well, I mean, I agree with you. It shouldn't have been when you're at 37 the first time you saw that. But I, in hindsight, I am glad that you've had that experience. Oh, like, yo, you know, so, th- so am yeah, I. Yeah. Like, I, I feel... But I, I get what you mean completely. It shouldn't have taken that long. But, yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I it's it's kind of funny because if people are wondering, the specific episode is Tracy's story um, with Sean Bean, who is fucking amazing in it. Um. And the person who commissioned it to me, like, after I, the review went up, because um, I got fairly emotional during the the review. Oh, just because sidebar, um, you, you mentioned, like, my, deliv- my delivery method, especially when I do reviews. I don't script. That's probably a big part of why I come across okay. uh, the way I do. Yeah. I, I script some things if I have a very specific point to make, but I never script the reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, but... You know, I I got choked up during the during the review, and they came back at me afterwards. They're like, "Oh my gosh, I didn't realize it was going to hit you like that. I just thought you'd find it interesting." I'm like, "No, thank you. Like seriously, yeah. thank you." Yeah, no, definitely. Um, well, again, thank you for sharing these experiences with me and and the listeners. I re- I think again, I think it's really important that these experiences are talked about and shared because I mean. I guess sort of like we said with these TV shows, who's watching, you never know who's listening to this, who might be going through that journey themselves or, you know, questioning things or whatever. And it might, you know, it might go a long way to help them. So I think it's, you know, it's fantastic that you feel confident and able to to share it. So from myself, just a massive thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. I mean, like it's, it's part of why I, I try and make an effort to, to stay visible because, you know, I'll get, 10 comments that are something along the lines of what the hell am I looking at, you know, from people who stumble across my videos. But for every 10 of those, I'll get one comment saying, wow, I haven't seen someone whose presentation and experience seems to even come close to lining up with mine. And that helps me to see. I'm like, good. Because I'm not going to say that's the only reason that I present the way I do. I also present the way I do Mm. because I'm damn near 40. I don't give a fuck anymore. Hell yeah. But, (laughs) but it, it helps like to get those messages and to know that, you know, sometimes when people see me looking the way I do and presenting the way I present and talking about the things I'm talking about, that's their first experience seeing somebody like me. And Hmm. hopefully that's a positive thing for most people, but especially if it's speaking to something about themselves that they don't feel represented, that's like, that's, that's important absolutely and long may that continue well nathaniel thank you so much for coming on it's been a pleasure having you here on amtv radio is there any um is there any youtube channels twitter stuff you want to shout out for our listeners so they know where they can find you okay let me see if i can get through the whole thing real quick (laughs) all right the main thing is if you search council of geeks you will find the majority of my stuff that's the primary youtube channel that i update that's where you'll find me on twitter that's also what my patreon is uh, is under if you're feeling particularly generous um 
attached to that, there's also the Break Room of Geeks. That is a smaller YouTube channel where I basically dump the more unpolished stuff that I just kind of ramble out, whereas Council of Geeks is where these days, at least, I, I try and put more polished, finished products on. Um, if you're curious about my gender fluid stuff, you'll find Vera Wild, uh, V-E-R-A. The last name is spelled W-Y-L-D-E because I had to p- spell it in the most pretentious way possible. <laughs> uh, and you'll find that on YouTube and on Twitter as well. And I, when is, uh, do you know when this is going to go up? Um, it'll probably, I'm only releasing one a week, but doing like bulk recordings. So this episode probably sometime in October, maybe late October. Okay. So at that point, the Kickstarter for my novel will be done, but Hey, you could still follow it for updates so you can pre-order it when that comes out. Absolutely. And for those watching on YouTube, all those Twitter, YouTube, etc., that would have been flashed on screen. And for both YouTube and Spotify listeners, all of those links will be in the description. So you can go and check out Nathaniel's content and help him out as well with all his projects. So again, thank you very much for coming on. Hugely appreciate it. And I wish you all the best with all your projects in the future. Thank you so much. No problem. And to all you guys listening, we will see you next time.